say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo and it's Leadership Day! <laughs> baby what the heck is leadership anyway and why should you care oh you, you think that's just what i'm saying no 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 it's the name of the book <laughs> what, what, what the heck is leadership why should i even care i don't know yes you know why well you may not know why but here's the deal dr gary DePaul is with me he's gonna tell you why he's gonna tell you what the heck leadership is and he's gonna tell you why you should care yeah, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? He's fantastic. He's a lot of fun. The book is absolutely fabulous. It's great. You're, it, it, it is, I would say, when I read this book, here's what here's what I'd say. I'm, I'm going to put this on my Amazon five-star review because it is an Amazon five-star review book, in my opinion. These seven principles are seven principles that anyone can do, and Regardless of what your position and title is in your company or even as an entrepreneur, let's say you're a solopreneur like I am, uh, these principles are going to benefit you. I, I just I promise you they will. It's fantastic. The book's great. He's great. He's fun. And you're going to enjoy him. But before we get to him, let's do what we do every week, right? And we talk about your training in terms of the four areas of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the reason why we're calling it training is because... You know, it's not where you're at, it's what you're doing that's really the most important thing, ultimately, right? I mean, you could say you're healthy, but what are you doing for your health? That, to me, is ultimately what's more important, right? In, in any area of your life, what are you doing to be healthy? So, you know, the question then becomes, like, if we talk about physically, and we look at it at a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being my training is just awful. And then 10 being, man, my training's so good. Jay, you can't believe it. I want to know where you're at in your training. And here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a course of exercise, right? And, and then when we talk when we talk about exercise, what we're talking about here is we're talking about, you know, not doing necessarily dumb things. We're just talking about what types of things can you do? Like, I mean, it could be just getting a regular walk. It could be, uh, it could be, you know, like I did, you know, like cinder blocks and galvanized pipe and I put together a gym, you know, it could be something like that. It could be something, you know, like, you know, you have friends who do videos and they do, you know, who are, who are, you know, really in great shape and they're giving you ideas what to do. Are you doing something on a regular basis? Right. That's the point about exercise. But then the other pieces, you know, are you eating right? Right? I mean, it's, it's so easy to eat fast food. God, people, we got to stop. Right? I mean, it's 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 just not the healthiest thing for it. It's not the best thing for our bodies. So, you know, what are you putting into your body? We got to pay more attention to what we're putting into our body. Right? Eliminate the diet sodas, the regular sodas. We got to eliminate that stuff. Right? And then, and then, you know, it's getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, those things. So if you were to put all that together, how would you say your training is going if you were to put the exercise, the diet, the, you know, sleep in the water? How would you say, scale 1 to 10, how would you say you're doing in your training, right? Now, it's not important what the number is, right? I mean, it's important. But what's really more important is finding out why your training is at that level. And then it's the next question, what are you going to do right now to change that? Okay, that, that's really more important. 
And that's true in every one of these areas, right? Okay, so you got your physical number, scale of 1 to 10. All right, next number is the mental number, and that's your mental training. And you know what? Book reading is great mental training. Because you got to be an active participant in your mental training. You cannot be a mental loafer. I love that term. My wife gave me that term. You know, a lot of people just want to sit and think that by sitting and absorbing information that they're really somehow training themselves mentally. Actually, you're not. You're actually mentally lazy, right? You've got to do something that is actively engaging your mind. Learning, the whole point of learning is to be able to take, you know what? Gary says this in his book. Learn, do, assess, and then rinse and repeat. Well, he may not have said rinse and repeat, but the point is an active, if you want to be active mentally, learn, do, assess yourself, go back, learn, do, assess, and keep going. That's active mental preparation, right? It's not sitting. And by the way, two halves of the brain left and right. So you got to work logically. You got to work the creative side. You got to do both, right? All right, so on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say your mental training is going? Right? Okay, you got two numbers. Next number is the emotional training. And, you know, uh, it's interesting that Gary talked about EQ in the book, emotional quotients, right? And, you know, sometimes we talk about emotional intelligence. EI is another one that we talk about. And he uses rum and rum squared in his book. I say the same thing. I just don't call it rum and rum squared. Okay, here's the two areas of your emotional training that you need to watch. The first one is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress and pressure? That's really, really, if I could simplify it down, that's really critical. Because as our special operations forces guys who have been on the show have all said, when you're under stress and you're under pressure, right, when you're under fire, okay, you don't really rise to your training. When you're that exhausted, you fall to the level of your training. You don't you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. That's that's really the truth. So if when it comes to your emotions, you have to constantly be practicing and testing and working and controlling your emotions on that one side, right? That's first half of the equation, right? Of your emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, your emotional training. The second half of your emotional training is how well are you able to tap into and understand really the emotions of other people? That's, see, that's critical. Matter of fact, it's critical even to being in, in leadership. It's critical that you really understand the emotions of others. You can't just hear the words that they're saying. What are the words conveying feeling? What is it? Part of our problem with why we don't understand it is because our emotional vocabulary is so shoddy. We just don't have a very good emotional vocabulary. By the way, there's so many ways that you can improve that. Just Google emotional vocabulary, right? They even have pictures with little faces to let you know, you know, the different variations of emotions that we have. And there's so many, right? There may be just a few basic emotions, but there's so many variations within between, all right? And it would be helpful if you started learning what those were. So if you were to evaluate yourself in those two areas, how well are you able to control your emotions under stress, pressure, and under fire, and then how well are you able to tap into the emotions of others and truly understand them, right? Then what would you, how would you say your emotional training is going on a scale of 1 to 10, right? Three numbers. Then finally, the spiritual number, right? A lot of people, you know, are a little bugged by the spiritual thing. I get every now and then somebody will write to me, go, Jan, you know, I'm not really spiritual. You know, I'm not buying into the spiritual piece. Well, 
you know, I'll tell you what, we're all spiritual, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we all have a spiritual piece of us, that we all have this sense of something that goes beyond who we are, meaning that, you know, there's a spirit of a person that makes them persevere in ways that they, that they should have not persevered. You know, we all have faith, right? We all believe that even in the midst of a pandemic, at one time, this is going to get over. Is it, is it over? No, but we all believe that it will. Well, that's faith. That's spiritual, right? And then there's this other piece of, you know, how are we able to maintain peace in the midst of chaos? I want you to think about that for a second. It's not emotional. Something inside you that centers you, that brings you back to center, that's the spiritual piece, right? And whether that's God or meditation or nature, whatever that you tend to use to try to bring you back to center, that's what I want to ask you is how is that working? How is that training that you're doing so that you're able to be have a sense of peace? I'm not talking about emotions here. That you just have this sense of stillness inside you. How well is that working? Right? And then if it's not working, what are you going to have to do to change it? Right? So you got the four numbers, right? Those four numbers are like the legs of a chair. Right? And the reason why I call it the legs of a chair because if those four numbers are uneven, right? whatever, it puts awkward pressure on our, what I would call on our uh, being of balance. Our, our being is out of balance. And even when we're sitting in an awkward chair, what happens when we're out of balance, right, it, it, our posture is affected over time. And then the other thing is if our numbers are too low, we can't really eat nutritiously because we can't sit at the table in the right way to do that. And as I say every week, I always get someone else who seems to have all of those four areas in order. And his name is Gary DePaul. He is uh, Dr. Gary DePaul, sorry. He's got more than 20 years of, uh, he's been with more than 20 years as a practitioner and academic experience. Gary DePaul collaborates with executives and management from a wide range of organizations to improve how employees practice leadership. He is an author and leadership advisor who regularly presents to professional associations such as the International Society of Performance Improvement, the Society for Human Resource Management, and the Association for Talent Development. In addition to his consulting and academic background, Dr. DePaul draws on many years of practical experience at various levels in the financial services, engineering, retail, and professional service companies. Dr. DePaul has his PhD and uh, education master's from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Department of Educational Organization and Leadership and completed his bachelor's degree at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome for the first time to a new direction, Gary DePaul. Welcome, Gary. We are here. Yes, we are here. I, well, I go. That introduction, by the way, was painful and the way and in this way i've heard it a couple of dozen times okay this time you were talking i wanted to yell hallelujah or amen (laughs) yes but you know i'm sitting here Uh, you know what that would be the first time (laughs) it wouldn't be the first time that i had a guest go yeah yeah preach it man uh, yeah, no, the book, the, the, you know what, this has been the fun part of your book. I, and I think you meant it because it's not a real long read. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's about 90 pages or so. It's not a real long read. <clears throat> and by the way, it's available in audio, audio, audible, Ooh, wow, how did, uh, audible. And it's also in veil, available in Kindle version as well, Amazon. Uh, but it's not a long read, but I got the sense that 
you made this very real to you because it's your passion. And in that it's your passion, there was kind of a little bit of a sense of humor that mm. that said, you know, listen, I've I've been around good leadership and bad leadership. And you know what? When bad leadership's bad, woohoo, it stinks. And when good leadership is good, wow. Is that, is that a game changer for everybody? It's a game changer. Right? And you and you pull this right out right at the very beginning of the book, and it's in chapter one, and you say how leadership will change your life. And I don't think – and what spoke to me in this first chapter was one phrase that you said. You said, like laughter, practicing leadership is contagious. But we don't always know what the heck it is, but it has more effects than that. Why don't we think about I, – I think we take it for granted, don't we? That's fair. Too many people say leader – and they mean manager, mm. and they just assume they know what it is. You know what? In, in our heads, we think we know what leadership is, and because of that, we do take it for granted. Mm. Well, we take it for maybe. You know, let's let's chat about this for a second. Maybe we take it for granted when it's good, but we certainly don't take it for oh granted when it's bad. <laughs> When, when there's an absence of leadership, when you're with someone who comes into an organization and displays the antithesis of what leadership is, you know it. And I had a director say to me once in his department of like, I don't know, 80, 90 people. He said, I, if you'd asked me before this person showed up, can one person ruin a department? Mm-hmm. And I was said, no way. This one person ruined the department. Mm-hmm. So when it's bad, it's bad. You know, it is really true. And I remember you stating that in your book, you know, that one person can absolutely ruin a department. And, I, and I'm not going to jump there, but it is really true, isn't it, that we can we kind of sometimes overlook that one person. Sometimes, and, and listen, as a small business owner, right, sometimes we overlook that person, especially – if that person is a top producer. Uh, yeah, totally. And the one the one trend that I picked up and Liz Wiseman picked up and a few other these leadership authors have picked up is that it takes a long time to get rid of someone like that. Mm. The They're doing great. They're producing. They're saying the right things. But you don't see the chaos and the destruction happening behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be pretty bad. Uh, here we go. We got the tail. Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, right? We got the, the tail starts to wag the dog. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, I have been around um, other people in, in, in leadership roles, right? They've, they've been put in leadership roles. By the way, just because you've been put in a leadership role, let's, let's be clear here. Because Gary's very clear, right? I mean, just because you're put in a leadership role doesn't make you a great, or that you are deserving, or that you should be, or that you're practicing leadership, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, any role can be a leadership role. Right. You could be a team member, and that could be a leadership role. We just think of leadership as management and the people in charge. So if you're a leader in a company, you're a VP, director, manager, but 
you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of experts out there that say people who are in executive positions, some of them just are not leaders. Well, and we have a, there's a, you talk about in chapter two that there's this brief history of leadership. And when you, (laughs) by the way, (laughs) you make a joke about it. You go, I told you it was going to be brief. I mean, you weren't kidding. I mean, you, you literally handed us about five sentences (laughs) about the history of leadership, but, but really great leadership has always exist. And it's always come from a variety of different sources historically, you know, you can look through history the leadership that we see today has always exist, existed, but sadly what's happened is that we have focused on uh, leaders who, uh, I would say, le- I guess they're leaders, but we've focused on people who have been extraordinarily successful generally in the financial realm. And we've assigned the term leader to them if they're financially successful. I think, I think as I was reading your book, one of the things that is a monumental disservice in the change of our history of leadership is redefining that just because somebody is financially successful does not make them a great leader or it mean that they're in top shape in their leadership. Would you agree? Yeah. It means they're financially successful. Right. If they have a bunch of people in companies and businesses, they have a they they own a bunch of businesses. Right. You know, it doesn't mean they're practicing leadership. They're just very good at generating the money and executing the business. This is one of those things where this is this just in. I, I you know I kind of think about what question I was going to ask, but then as I asked this question, another question just popped into my head, and that's why you and I are doing the show. But part of the problem is is we actually enable that isn't it? Mm, yeah. Oh, definitely. It's in our conversations. It's in um, the way we, we address people that have authority and we do it to ourselves. And it's, it's just, it's, it's part of our language. Mm. And what you're seeing now in the 21st century, there's a little bit of uncoupling from doing that. Yeah, there's, the, there's a little, there's a little, it's, it's slow. Yeah, because the social media does not is not uncoupling. Uh, okay, from you know because you know my you know there's somebody who studies uh, the cultures of social media and what people do on it and how they act and and a lot of times act poorly. One of the things that I see is that we are still giving kudos to uh, people that have stuff. Right versus people who actually have something to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so then that makes that makes your concept of you know what the heck is leadership that makes it actually kind of makes it a little more foreign, and I think it makes it harder mm-hmm. for people to grasp. Would you not agree? Yeah, definitely. And the the one thing I would add is that leadership, we think of leadership as the big stuff. Right. The big, You do something, you're leading, everyone right. sees it. It's fantastic. Right. I've been interviewing a bunch of people to, and I'm validating it with them by what their, their stories. They're telling me leadership happens in the small things. Absolutely. And you may not even know that you are being led until years later. You think back and it's like, oh man, that person 
changed my life with the way he or she treated me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, we have a golden opportunity in every situation that we're in. And I just spoke with a young lady at a grocery store who said, you know, who had studied uh, at a fine university and she, you know, said, well, I'm back here at the grocery store. And I said, whoa, she goes, you know, I took a step back. I said, well, you're not the same person you were when you were here the first time. So you didn't take a step back. You now have an opportunity to lead a whole bunch of people because she's now in a management role, right? And I said, you didn't take a step back. You, 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 you're, you can't be the same. And all of a sudden she teared up because she had never, she had never thought about that before, that she had an opportunity to lead because she wasn't the same person that she was when she was here before. She had an opportunity then, but she couldn't see it, right? And nobody had just spoken it. And I think sometimes we have this golden opportunity to speak truth and life and encouragement into other people. And it also, it's part of one of your, um, it's one of the seven that we're going to get to. But it doesn't matter who you are. I, it didn't have to be me, right? It could have been anybody. We can all do that for each other, right? Yeah, definitely. Every Anyone could lead from the perspective of their role, right? whatever it is. Yeah. You know, we don't, depending on how knowledgeable and aware we are of our own abilities to lead, depends, affects how we actually lead. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? His name is Dr. Gary A. DePaul. The book is entitled, What the Heck is Leadership? Why Should I Care? Right? And you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, you know what? I talk about my two uh, great, great sponsors, right? Epic Physical Therapy, right? I use them. They are fantastic. They're awesome. Professional athletes use them. Why? Because they're fantastic and they're awesome. That's the reason why they go. Matter of fact, I've seen athletes from all over the world come and use them. Professional athletes come and use them from all over the world. In in Raleigh, North Carolina, why? Because they really do understand how the body works and moves and how to get you back to where you want to be. Here's the thing. They will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored for your needs. Why? Because they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So whether you are you know, you got hurt or whether you just want to move better, whether you just are suffering from a few aches and pains, don't look any further, get your Epic relief, get your Epic recovery, get your Epic results by going to Epic physical therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors for more than 35 years. That's right. They're starting their 36th year this year. And you know what? They're still at the top of the real estate game, and they help people all over the world. They do. No matter where you live, they can help you find the best expert. How do they do that? Well, see, they're independently owned and operated, so they don't belong to a national company. So they've created relationships with the best people all over the world. Yeah. At the end of the day, isn't it all about the relationships? And that's why Linda for 36 years has been in the top of her game and her team because she understood that the relationship is the most important part of anything, including the transaction. If your relationships are solid, guess what? Your business is going to be solid. That's the bottom line. If your relationships are solid with your people, guess what? Your relationships are going to be solid. 
And you know what? When you take care of your relationships, that means you're going to take care of your people, which means that ultimately they're going to take care of your housing needs. So when you're ready to sell your home or buy your home, don't look any further. Look for the relationship maker and maintainer. Look for Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with Dr. Gary A. DePaul and his book, What the Heck is Leadership? What? And why should I even care? All right, well, we're about to get into and dig into some of this a little bit more. We can have a little bit of fun, kind of giving you a little bit of a foundation. But now we're going to dig into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts. But before we do that, I think, you know, you've kind of briefly mentioned it, and you talk about this uh, in Chapter 3. But I think we need to do a, a, a kind of a, what is it, a public service announcement of, okay. of, of like, let's make sure we understand that leadership is not management. So let's help us define, help us understand management and, and, and first and what it is and what it's and how it's not leadership. Yeah. First management, it's a formal role. If you go, if you went to someone's job posting site, you'll see managers, right? Vice presidents, things like that. Those are formal, formal roles with specific tasks that they do. But if you look at those lists, you're not going to see leader. You might see something like project leader. Mm. But when you look at the description, it's really describing a management role. But here, here's the big thing. Here's, here's a definition that I'll throw at you. And it's this. It's getting things done through other people or the art of getting things done through others. I used to think in graduate school, that's what leadership is. My gosh, that makes perfect sense. Well, that's Mary Parker Follett's definition of management. Mm. So management, when you're a people manager, because you could be a process manager, project manager, manager of businesses and, and structures and things like that. When you manage people, your role is to get things done through other people, through the people that report up to you. But that's not leadership. Mm. We talk like it is, you know, having a vision, being able to uh, guide people to do stuff. But it's not. It, it, that's just what management is. So it's think of management as a concrete role that you can have, but leadership is not a role. Okay. All right, I, I, and I'm, I'm following you, and I think everybody else who's listening and watching this show live on Castbox FM and Facebook is following you as well, and they're getting it. They're saying that okay, I, I can, and and they're going all right, all right, that sounds all right. So, uh, by the way, I want before I go to that question, I just want to say something that you said that was really funny in this chapter. <laughs> okay. You said one thing that drives me nuts, and you did you. This is this is a quote. One thing that drives me nuts is reading or watching videos of experts who claim to have the answer to how leadership and management differ. In one video, an expert associates management with being smart and having a high IQ with leadership, and while leadership is having a high EQ. And um, I thought it was funny that you were so vulnerable <laughs> to, to tell us what, what gets under your skin. And management, management and leadership get under your skin, brother. <laughs> It, it does, and I'll, I will never be able to get, I think, 
the term leader out of the language. It will never happen. Right. But what kills me is when experts go on and if you if you do a, do a search on the internet, I won't say which service, what right. your favorite service. Sure. And do a search for manage, manager versus leader or management versus leadership. And it, it's like a wrestling match. It's like a fight between the good guy and the bad guy. <laughs> and these people make managers the bad guys. And here I am. I've spent, I don't know, 15 years or so in management positions. I'm going, what the? <laughs> it's, that's an insult. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I just found it. To be funny, <laughs> I mean, you actually did use the word. It drives me nuts. Yeah, <laughs> the phrase you used. Okay, so if management is this formal role <clears throat> consisting of well-defined tasks, uh, and you even separated into four categories. Um, yeah. There's managers of organizations, processes, projects, and people. Um, and you call, also talk about Gary Rumler and his management responsibilities. So then let's move on to chapter four. Well, what the heck is leadership? Yeah, what is it? It's not a role. It's not a task. It's a practice. When you're doing a particular role, when you're doing your processes, when you're working with people, you practice leadership. Okay, that's not defining it, but it's saying it's distinguishing the difference between what a role is and what this is. So... Mm. What's a practice? I could go into it if you want, real quick. I yeah, could, I mean, it, I mean, we, yeah. because you because okay. you, you you talk in chapter four, the first element of leadership is by it is bi-directional, where it's management is not. Yeah, so I'm going to give you an example, Jay. I want you to be a detective. Clearly, <sighs> in this situation, you're at a grocery store. Okay. I got your hat. All right. Yeah. And you're observing two cashiers. Okay. And you're you have in front of you this this binder here of all the processes for this company, and you have something in front of you called the point of sale steps. Okay. And your job is to make sure that cashier one, Yolanda, okay. and the other one, James, they're okay. following the process. All right. You watch, you go through your checklist, they do all, you know, they greet, they they uh efficiently move product over the scanners Check. they yeah you know they bag things properly Check. they ask did you find anything did Check. you find everything and then you're done and they they thank you for shopping they both do it Check. done Check. you know uh -huh. but here's the really weird thing yolanda's line is a lot longer than james hmm and it's just it's odd it's, there's something different, and it seems that when there's people, the sh when there, it's clear that you can get out of that store faster by going through James's line, they still get in front of getting Yolanda's line. Mm. But when you listen to it, you pick up some differences. For example, Yolanda greets someone by name, a customer by name. Yolanda asked, "How that platter you bought the other day?" How did that, how did it turn out with that party? And Yolanda might say, you know, there's some coupons coming up tomorrow. I can't tell you what they are, but pay attention to them because I think you're going to like it. Or they might even rec um, recommend something. Mm. It's a different experience. And when she says, thank you for shopping, she might say, thank you for shopping. But tell me how that, how it went with that new product you bought, you know? 
and and it's a different experience. Right. But same process, but she practiced the process differently. So if you're if you're into lean six sigma, if right. you do any type of mapping, this is something I ought to know because when you look at a process map, it's not going to tell you the practices. Right. You know, so there's this stuff that goes into it, and leadership is one of those stuff that goes into it. This is okay. This is the piece where it gets a little bit, I think, for people. I totally am so on board with this because people want to put leadership into a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? Because they they want to say, well, if I do this and I don't do that, then I must be a pretty good leader. But it's really more than that. There is there is a bigger picture that you just can't check off. Yes. Here. I would think of it as, I hate the, I'm all about unlabeling things, but I'm going to throw out a label. It's sure. like a mindset. Yeah. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of approaching what you do. And it could be as an individual contributor. It could be as a manager. It could be as an executive. So why don't I tell the definition, give you my definition of what leadership is. Yeah, yeah, go, go. Yeah. So I've led up to it. It's a big buildup. Leadership, it's bidirectional. It's a performance improvement discipline. So there's some ways of thinking about it. And the technical definition is it's designed to mature individual mental and moral qualities, capabilities, and behaviors. Okay. That sounded really technical. Well, let me rephrase it. It's helping other people build character. That might be a little bit more understandable. But so you think about it, it's not about getting people to do stuff. Mm. And uh, David Marquez says this in, in some of his talks. It's about getting people to think for themselves and changing the environment where they work so that they can be at their best. <clears throat> I could not agree more. Uh, I We get stuck into traditional, which is, I think, in chapter 12 or 13, where, we, where you talk about traditional, what we consider traditional leadership. I say this about coaching executives when I coach executives, and I'm sure you do the same thing. I am not trying to get them to do stuff. I'm trying to build their character. I'm trying to get them to learn. I'm trying to get them to think. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's really, when I'm coaching, you know, the greatest coaches I ever had when I played, the greatest coaches I ever had. Yes, they had to give me some technical things, but the best thing they ever did for me was they built character traits in me. They they taught me how to think for myself, how to make better decisions for myself. That was what they did for me. Yeah, Kevin McNulty, who I interviewed recently, he talks about this and he talks about the coaches. And he said, Gary, if you want to find the coaches, the athletic coaches, NFL coaches that are really good, Look at how long their their assistants stay. They may stay two years, but they leave and they become the coach, right. the head coach of a college, of another football team. Right. They move on to better positions. And that's because that coach builds the character of those people right. 
and helps them excel and, and, you know, help just really helps them develop and grow and become a better person. And so often I think leaders get caught into, I just got to make my people more competent. Yeah. And get them to do the stuff I need them to do. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's all that is, right, you know, right, the, right, right. The, the, the former stuff is like the fluff. The latter stuff is what right. you're being judged on. Right. You know? Oh, by the way, let me say one thing about coaching. You're not putting information in the people you coach. What you're doing is you're having them reach inside themselves and figure stuff out and learn things and develop and recognize patterns. That's what you're doing. It's yeah. an, it's a outside, it's, it's not a inside outside in, it's an inside out approach. Yeah. I, you, this is, you, do you know how your statement said the one thing that drives me nuts Yes. The one thing that drives me nuts is coaches who feel like they have to tell their clients what to do. Right? I, I, that's not coaching. That's not coaching. No, it's, that's it's, that's either consulting, it's training, it's training, it's teaching. Right. It's um maybe. It's, you know, it's it's not coaching, it's mentoring. Maybe. All all those things are putting stuff into people, giving stuff. But coaching isn't giving anything. You're not telling them what to do. You're questioning what they're doing. You're making them think critically and they're having to reach in themselves and look at themselves in a way that they're not familiar with. Do you know what the worst question I hear from other coaches is that I get asked and because this is where I know they're off scale is when they ask me, how do I motivate those people? (laughs) I think it's the worst question, right? Because I, I, I think what happens in leadership, they think leadership is about motivating people. Which, by the way, is not one of your seven. Hmm. No, it's a byproduct. That's Yes, you can be motivated. You can there become you go. encouraged. Right. There you yeah. Go. You know, when we look at definitions of leadership, we tend to, there's a tendency of defining it in the outcomes. Mm. You know, being motivated getting things done, um, improving the work environment, uh, increasing the feeling of safety among the team. Those are short-term outcomes. They're the results of helping people develop and grow and become better at what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leadership, it's it's all about the other person. Right. It's not about me. It's not about right. you. Right. But and like I know this happens with coaching by doing coaching, if you're a mentor by doing mentoring, I think that it helps you as well develop your character because you learn from the experience just as much. The bi-directional part. You've taught it. Have you? You've taught at college, right? Didn't I? Did we talk? Um, did we, I'm a, you're about to. I'm about to, but okay, uh, okay, I okay. won't say where because they haven't made it official right, yet. Right, okay. Well, having taught at I don't know four or five universities. Oh. Yeah, I have I have guests le- lectured. Okay, well, having you know having to run a class four or five different un- run classes in four or five different universities, can I tell you something? Yeah. I feel bad for the students. Here's why: I learn more than they do. I as a as an instructor, I learn far more than they do. Because as a t- as as an instructor. That's why I feel sorry for them because it's like it's not fair. I thought my job was to educate, right? But the truth is I'm the one who's getting the education in the process. That was the thing that struck me when you said the truth of the matter is if you're really in leadership, 
you're learning far more probably than you're actually giving. Yes. Yes, definitely. And you have to, and that's one of the principles is you have to continuously learn and develop and grow at the same time. And if you're not doing that, then it just hurts your capabilities to lead. Well, we're going to get to learn, do, and assess because I, you know, that was a teaser I did ah. earlier, right? Because we did that teaser. But you know what? Uh, you're listening to Gary A. DePaul and his book, What the Heck is Leadership? Why Should I Care? And <laughs> you're listening to him here <laughs> on a new direction. Hey, folks, uh, talking about my. My two sponsors, and I love them dearly, uh, Heidi and Andrew, uh, sites who own uh, Epic Physical Therapy. You could not find two better owners and outstanding people. I have known them for years, and when they took over Epic, um, it was just one of the best things that probably happened to the company. Uh, they are fantastic. They have great people. Their people are absolutely fantastic. And... <clears throat> They also understand that in addition to the people, you got to give people the right tools in order for them to be successful. So that's why every Epic physical therapy facility offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment. Some things like the, uh, you know, the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, which means that you can run without feeling pressure on your joints. The Normatec per- per- compression sleeves, which allows you to feel like your joints are hold together and that you could do more. The Game Ready, which is an basically ice and compression that takes uh, the swelling out of your body. I could use that right now, as a matter of fact. Um, so I may have to go hit them after the show. And then, of course, you know what? They have, uh, they're have they trained in the certified and the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments like blood flow restriction therapy, fantastic dry needling, um, great. And then uh, cupping, uh, which is manipulating your muscle through the skin. It's fantastic. Look, Here's the deal. When you're ready for your epic relief, epic recovery, and your epic results, just just start with epic physical therapy. You just just go to epicpt.com. Literally, it's e p i c p t.com. You're 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 gonna thank me. Trust me, you will. And then Linda Craft and Team Realtors, right? Thirty sixth year in business, and you know we've talked about them as being you know the relationship realtor and that. The, the importance of relationships, not only um, with her clients, but with her team. But then, you know what, there's something else. And this one other th- piece is that she also understood that memories are made in the home, right? We're all making memories in the home. You know, birth of a child happens, happened, you know, when you brought that baby home, right? And in, into the, to the first home you had, right? You remember what their, where that home was, you know, or the puppy or, you know, maybe it was graduation, but we have memories in the home. Maybe it was going to grandma's house, right? There's memories. And Linda understood the importance of those memories, right? Because in every memory, there's also a relationship. It still comes down to relationship, doesn't it? And that's where it comes down for Linda Crafted Team Realtors. At the end of the day, when it when it's about your home, it's about the relationship, the relationships that you made, the relationships that you created, the relationships that you maintained, all surrounding your home. Right. So when it comes to memories and relationships, go with the memory maker, the relationship maintainer. Go with Linda Craft at Team Realtors. You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with Dr. Gary DePaul and his book, What the Heck is Leadership and Why Should I Even Care? And uh, we're <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna start digging into um, 
Are you having a good time, Gary? By the way, I'm having a great time. <laughs> In fact, can I say something sure. uh, briefly about your sponsors? That's really cool. What's that? Both of them follow principles of leadership. And I, I really do believe this. Like the the phys, if you're going to physical therapy, they set up the environment so you can successfully recover physically. Mm. Where you as if you did it on tried to do it on your own, it may not work out at all. And with the with the realtor, I know people in realty that actually do lead their customers. They have they build relationships like you were describing, yeah. but they help them develop and grow also. Right. Yeah, it's a beautiful it, thing. It, it is beautiful. I, I, it, it is beautiful. It goes against the grain for a lot of people. I'm just telling you, as you well know, in this thing. So let's let's jump over to chapter six, and it's entitled "Do You Really Believe?" And let's talk about the first principle of leadership, which is believing in others. Why is that? Whoa, Gary, okay, I'm playing devil's advocate here, so go with me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Gary, 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 Gary. <laughs> Come on, man. What do you mean, leadership, believe in others? What the, what, what, what the, the heck? heck? What the heck? I will I say something about these principles. They are overt secrets. Believe in others <laughs> are, is an overt secret. I can say to you, Jay, you should believe in others. And you would yeah. say, yeah, of course, I yeah. believe in others. Sure. Well, it's common sense. Well, it's not necessarily common practice. I've just interviewed about this month alone, about 15, 17 people and their descriptions, their stories that they brought to me describe believing in others. And I'll give, I'll give you an example to kind of bring this to life. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started a, at a job. I was hired for one reason and one reason only it was to fire two people that were assigned to me. Oh, I had only two people assigned to me. I was hired to fire them. <laughs> I'm sorry. That shouldn't be funny. But, it is, it's but, hysterical. <laughs> the fact that you were hired to fire. That's just ridiculous. I, I know I, I was, I was being interviewed. The VP walks in and he says, have you ever fired anyone? And I said, yeah, but man, it killed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you fired someone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't need to know anything else. And he walked out. <laughs> I was like, what? Right. You know, it's just, it was weird. Right. Here's, here's why he thought these two people should be fired. He would walk by their cubicles, you know, they're on those little cubicles. One person is balancing his checkbook. The other person is surfing the web. He gets hears stories about them talking to neighbors about football and things like that, and not non-work stuff. And it's just like a disturb their disturbances. So they're obviously bad people. Turns out when I walked in, neither of them were fired. I didn't fire either of them because they, I found out what was wrong. They didn't have enough work. Mm. They were sitting around and they didn't have enough work to do. And so I, I put an end to that. You know, I gave them plenty of work. One, they're both at the same company years later. One is a manager and well-respected. And the other one is one of the best designers in the company. Mm. But I, it's because I didn't go in with a neutral stance or a negative stance. I went in 
thinking that when they woke up in the morning, they didn't say, well, what can I do to to mess up my work today? What can I do to make Jay's day miserable? No, they they want to do well. I, and when you have that belief, it becomes and you know about biases, it becomes a right. self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. You see things in people that you don't see. Right. And it just takes away different biases that you might have. And that's gener- that's the the thing about believing in others. I had a VP tell me real quick that when she adapted that, and she didn't call it believing in others, when she ad- adapt- adapted that attitude, the people did extraordinary things mm. because she believed that they can do it, and she set it up so that this gave them the room to do it, and they did. <sighs> The problem, I, you know, as a psychological professional, one of the problems that I think that happens with people when it comes to believing in others is sometimes they look at so many other behaviors, right, that they can't get themselves past what they see. Yeah. And so rather than believing in the person, they're only focused on the things that they see and they don't have the whys behind the behavior they just see it and they go well there's no reason to put hope in them right yep and then they look for things to confirm that belief right which is confirmation bias right yes or or one of my favorites is called illusory correlation right okay i don't know that one yeah so you know how what we do is we create this illusion of correlation for instance every time it rains bird's going to poop on my car right so there's this illusory correlation well we do the same thing with people we create this illusion that every time that I'm going to give this person some rope, they're going to do this, right? And we create this correlation that then confirms our bias when it really has nothing to do with anything else. It's kind of as you talk about in the book, and it's one of my favorite terms. It's called fundamental attribution bias, um, and you know we and which is actually in chapter seven. But it's one of my favorite. It happens to be one of my favorite subject matter that I would teach in. Uh, intro to psychology and other um, psychology classes because we we want to <laughs> here's here's an example of fundamental attribution error i'll just give it out to you somebody is driving in a car and you see the car weaving down the road right and it's going it's going over the line and it's going down to the ditch and it goes all the way across the other lane and the first thing you go is dug on it they're texting driving or they're drunk right then you see the car pull over and the lady runs out, and there's this giant bumblebee following her, right? You were wrong, yep. weren't you? You'd made the judgment, the fundamental attribution error is that you judged texting or they're drunk when the fact of the matter is there was a bee in the car. But we wouldn't go there first because we're thinking about our danger first rather than that, which is why in Chapter 7, the second principle, right, is which is, go ahead, and how fundamental attribution error kicks in. Well, can I first share with you a, a reversed sure. example real quick? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, you can do whatever you want to. This I'm is in, your show, man. I'm in a parking lot <laughs> at night. I just walked out of the store. I get in my car. I'm in a little MR2, Toyota MR2, little right. 93. I'm driving out of the parking lot, and coming towards me is an SUV, and there's a kid a teenager sticking his head out the window and he's waving like this. And I'm thinking I'm going to die. (laughs) 
what really was happening is he was trying to get my attention to let me know my lights were off. <laughs> I attribute because because of this waving of the arms, I attribute that to hostility. Right. And I attribute it to something negative, but he was trying to do me a favor. Yeah. Is that not bizarre? It's what we do. Yeah. It's, it's how it's, it's how we operate. It's, it's human beings, right? Exactly. It, it, and it, the the key though, the key though, and and this is really part of the whole piece of leadership is being self aware. I mean, really, that's that's critical to all of the, all, every one of yes. your every one of your principles. Every one of your principles is to be self-aware that you're Ex- capable of doing this. Yeah, and then you then you take the principles and you help other people become self-aware. Right. You know, you if if and and that's why I know people like EQ. That's why I like Rum. Mm-hmm. You know, right. recognize the emotions, the behaviors, understand why they're happening, right. and then manage them for myself and for other people. Right. So rum squared means me and then others. Right. Right. Which, by the way, is a perfect lead-in to the second leadership principle, which is connect with others. Yeah, we need. This is huge. This is this is um, this is where. I'll, sh- I'll share it with a real real brief story. A guy named Randy Moon at the beginning of that chapter, I talk about it. He, he takes over a department. He meets with everyone. And instead of talking about this is a strategy, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. He starts talking a story, uh, telling a story about how he was kidnapped in Argentina by, by people that wanted to do some serious harm to him. And he gets out of it in the long run. But the weird thing was, afterwards, I walked up to a group of people and started talking. They were like, man, this guy is really cool. I can't wait to get into his office. I can't. I'm just I think he's going to be great for our department. And it's all because he was vulnerable, said I'm a real person like you. Bad stuff happens, sometimes worse than others. Yep. You know, and, and there's a connection there. Where when you're vulnerable, when you're when you're allowing people to know what you're thinking, we call it congruency. Your 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 thoughts, your emotions are congruent with what you say and how you act. It develops this connection with the people around you, and then, coupled with the other principles, the extraordinary can happen. Yeah, well, it does. See, this is this is the thing. Vulnerability creates safety. I, I I I've said this over and over again. When you're when we're able to be vulnerable, we actually make people safe. We can make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes we can be vulnerable, and make people feel uncomfortable. But in that uncomfortable moment, they actually feel safe. If I am going to be open and honest with you. I'm giving you permission to be open and honest with me. Exactly. When I say I screw up and apologize for it, that gives you permission to say I also screwed up and right. and get permission to, you know, get you know, forgiven for it. It's it's just a way of of allowing people to behave how they normally would 
with people that are they're close with and that enables teams to develop relationships like they never had before we're going to do one more principle real quick because we're running out okay. of time uh chapter eight leadership is not about you the principle is put others first yeah that is huge it's it's definitely not about you and people people think okay i'm gonna i want why do i want to go in the leadership or become <laughs> practice leadership i want to become i want to make myself better no it's not it's not it's about other people you know in the military they talk about taking care of the people before you take care of yourself uh joe rodriguez i talk about him in the book he's a good friend of mine he is the quintessential person who takes care of the people around him he puts them first he recognizes them. If there, if things go wrong, he'll take ownership of that, his part of it. When things go right, he'll give you the credit. He'll recognize you for what you've done. It's really a powerful way of behaving and thinking. And when you integrate that into how you behave, when it becomes background as a guiding way of, of acting, it changes everything. It does change everything. When, when we move from our own selfish, narcissistic wants and needs and we start looking at the needs and wants of others first, it not only changes others, it changes us. It's powerful. I call it, I call it stewardship. Yeah, and it's powerful. You realize we've been on an hour? You sure it's not 15 minutes? <laughs> It feels like it every time I do this. So you've been great. This has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, the show's called A New Direction because we help people all over the world find a new direction in their life, in leadership and success, in their life or their career and business. You've been an amazing guest. If you could leave uh, the listeners uh, with a new direction based on what the heck is leadership and why should I care? What would Dr. Gary DePaul leave the listeners with? I'll leave them with the challenge. Okay. For the next 30 days, have a notebook with you. And when you start your day, write something in it that you're grateful for from the previous day. Small things like someone opened a door for someone else. Uh, so I made a comment that was nice. Write it down. Don't tell anyone, just do it and do that for 30 days. Not much will happen other than, oh gosh, I have to do this now. But if you do it for 30 days, things will begin to change in how you view people, how you think, how you interact. And it could be a powerful thing. So that's that's why I leave people with a challenge to think a little bit differently about how you behave and perform with other people. You know, you just spoke my language. Amen, brother. I, Hallelujah. I, I, mean, I am I am a gratitude. Wake up first thing in the morning, write down seven things I'm grateful for. I started it, I don't know how many years ago. And it was challenged by from a book of all things that I listened to by a guy by the name of Daniel, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Said, challenge you to do this for 30 straight days, gratitude. I was like, all right, I got nothing loose here. I'll just do it. I'm still doing it. It's, it's that powerful. 
each time it's an increment and it becomes something called the incremental effect in finance Mm. where nothing, not much happens at first, but roughly around 20, 30 days, not because you're forming a habit, but you start to experience a difference in your life. And I think you can attest to that. Yep. Yep. Just from what you just said. Yeah. yeah. By the yeah. By the way, thank you for what you do and the service that you for reaching out to people. I meant to say that at the beginning. I've all throughout the episodes, thank you, man. I'm so thankful that Jay is doing this and serving the community in this way and bringing ideas and concepts to people that did not have that before. So that's that's why I listen to your show. I'm I'm still catching up, you know. From I just found out about it uh, last year from Ed Muzio, one of your guests. Oh, Ed's great. Iterate, Inter- he, he did. Yeah. I talked to him today. Iterate, and yeah. um, yeah. And I've as soon as I listened to one episode, it was like you know my brain just went. <laughs> the opening just went. <laughs> you know, and it hallelujah. You know, it you. like I wanted to say at the beginning. But so thank you for what you do, and I still have a few episodes to catch up on. Well, thank you. You've been you. doing this a while. I have three. Yeah, we'll be going on three years, and uh, we're, I'm loving. I, it's it's just fits into my uh, natural talents abilities and I love doing it. And um, I get to serve a world and I never thought I would get to do that. But um, if, if that's, if there's no such, if there's such thing as magic, that's magic. Yeah. I, I get to serve a world. I never expected it. And I never thought that would happen. And I get to do this every week and it's pretty special. Honestly. Amen. It's really, really special. Folks, uh, that's Gary, Dr. Gary DePaul. And you know what? If he doesn't inspire you, I don't know what else will. Because you know what? When you're inspired, that means you'll inspire others. And when they're inspired, that means they will inspire others in turn. And if we all do that, that can make this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another fantastic guest, another great book. And it's going to be another great show. And as I say to you all every week, everywhere, all over the world, merci and ciao, everybody. And the answers don't make sense Got to keep your hope alive You got to know you can survive This is your time